I'm excited. I just, that song that we just sang there, Good Grace, anybody that knows me well enough knows that if I like a song, you'll hear it 4,000 times coming from my office. <laughs> and in some way or another, it just seems like I can't figure out how to put the headphones in the deal so it's blaring all over the office. But We'll hear it more next week from Robert Morris as we will be in a series called The Blessed Life. As we begin it today. But I think it was his wife that said, he had, said it about Robert Morris. Said he came to know Jesus. So when he, when he came to know Jesus, he never got over it. I hope that can be said about me. I hope that's your desire. And when you came to know Jesus, you just never got over that. New Year's resolutions, good intentions, I think we should probably call them because they're not commitments, right? Because <laughs> some of you have already broken them, the one ever, whatever you had, they really weren't, we talked about it a few weeks ago, they're really not promises or commitments because we realize when we say them or when we put them out there, they're probably not going to happen, or they might happen, but the odds of them being broken by the end of January are pretty high, Right? How many of you know from experience that good intentions alone are not the same as committing? As a matter of fact, I think good intentions can actually work at times against you and I. Because if we're not careful, our psyche will allow us to think because we have good intentions, we're actually changing. We have good intentions, we're actually moving the ball down the field, if you will. They convince us of something that's really not even happening. For instance, possibly some of you in 2018, and yes, I said 18, not 19, but 2018, a year ago, your goal was to lose 10 pounds. Now you have only 25 pounds to go. (laughs) Good intentions alone made you gain... A renovation, making disciples, has to be more than a good intention. So we're putting handles to this in our series called The Blessed Life. And one called The Radical Life, which you'll see next. We'll be starting next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. from 9 to 9.45. Dr. Dan and I will be working together through that for three weeks. But it's around the radical optimism that John Wesley talks about, that he wanted a salvation that ran more than hot or cold or made him feel guilty most of the time. He wanted a salvation that took him back to his primitive health, took him back to the place he was designed to be. That's the radical optimism of what we teach here at Renovation. So we're going to go three weeks and talk about that in 45-minute segments. You'll have to come with... It'll be like a fire hydrant, so you may want to bring a snorkel or some different things... Uh, because you'll be underwater most of the time now. But we just believe the Lord says, okay, at 9 o'clock to 9.45, we're going to talk about the radical life or the radical optimism. The series is going to be called The Blessed Life, which will go for the next four weeks. Don't want you to miss one if you can help it. If you can help it. Because the Lord has convicted me that we cannot teach people that they are deeply spiritual without being generous. Now, please hear me. Don't confuse this series on biblical generosity with fundraising. This is about disciple making. Overflowing lives 
released into this community that are blessed and are highly favored. Lives unexplainable apart from Christ. But let me say this. You can't be blessed or favored without faith. And you can't have true faith without being faithful. And you can't have partial faithful. It's faithful in all areas. So you really don't have faith unless unless you're really walking in faithfulness. Just believing in Jesus is a good intention in some ways. You know it's the right thing, but having faith in him is a whole different thing. Because having faith in him means you have to be faithful. The Jewish people would have never thought about the word faith ever without meaning faithfulness. They would have never walked to the the Western culture going, faith in Jesus is just believing and showing up. They would have never thought about it that way. The generous person, their posture of generosity affects all areas of their life, not just their bank account. Time, talent, treasure, no question we'll be talking about. However, I've been in this long enough to know that when we talk about things, when we say generosity, the first thing many of your minds go to is money. It's the forefront of it. And you know what? In many ways, it should. It just should. I believe the use of money is a deeply spiritual issue. And then how we give is an honest reflection of our heart towards our levels of gratitude and love for God. I heard this just recently, and you can do with it what you wish. That there is no such thing as being right with God and wrong with money. Do with that what you wish. When it comes to giving, how would others describe you? Would they describe you as self-absorbed, stingy, fearful? In other words, you operate from scarcity. In other words, you're just afraid you're trying to hold on to everything. Or maybe more concerned about just when it comes to generosity, you're just trying to build your own kingdom. Or a controlling giver. You'll give, but you only give when you can manipulate it. I know people years and years ago who made this statement, I'm not tithing until you start doing what I believe you're supposed to be doing. Faithful giving. You can be counted on to do the right thing and understanding biblical tithing specifically of returning. It literally means to return to. Turn back to. And you realize it's a good investment. You've seen the principles. Now you may be way more spiritual than that. Jen and I had a friend, pastor years ago, uh, a lady friend who said that her kids, even though they were not in church, continued to tithe because they knew the principle of it. And they were not in church. But they understood continuing to tithe was a great investment. 
But I'm going to tell you right here, and I'll bring it back up again, that's probably where I've been for the last 30 years. I know the right thing to do, and I've been trying to do it, but I'll, I'll come back to that in just a second. Then there's the last one, to be generous, and we'll talk way more about that today and over the next many weeks. The conviction the Lord has put on me is for the last 30-something years since I became a Christian and began to tithe, and Jan and I give above the tithe. It's not, it's not that we just... But there is a huge difference I'm coming to realize. And being a giver and then being a person of generosity. Because when you're a person of generosity, God begins, God is changing something in you. You're not just agreeing to the right principles of giving which are great, and you need to understand that. But it is a heart change. It is an attitude change. It is a lens change. You see the world differently. You look at everything. You begin to look at it differently because you begin to look at it from the eyes of the Creator the best you can. God's generosity is pretty evidence all around us. And he's pretty lavishing about that. He's pretty extravagant. You know, Allie sent me a picture the other day. Of her, she was out on the South Mountain, sent me this picture. And I saw this and thought, man, just... I, there are times I look at some of the things God sends to us and you almost hear him saying, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Now, just showing off a little bit. Now, I want to go, yeah, you're showing off today. Yeah, you are. We had a picture from front of the church a few weeks ago of a rise. And just as the sun was setting and the Christmas. And I just go, thank you, Lord. Just thank you. I don't even have a good phrase to you. Just thank you. But above all. God demonstrated his generosity when he offered his son as a sacrifice for our sin. In the face of such generosity, we can hear Paul's words saying in 1st 2nd Corinthians 9:15, "Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift." Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And just in case you're wondering, Jesus spoke about, without reservation, <laughs> about the importance of our relationship to material possessions. And he, he spoke on that more than he did most anything else. Because generosity comes from the heart, and Jesus knew that. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I believe when your heart changed, generosity follows. So, what are some of the ways that we can spot a person who may be of that? Or, and what are some generosity identifiers we should even be considering for ourselves? I've got a few of them here. Obviously, there's going to be others, and you may phrase it differently. But, but I, hope, and I hope this may be of some help to you today. I don't know. We'll see. One is, they've discovered this gateway. In other words, they were designed for generosity. They've stepped through the door down the path realizing, man, I was designed for more than self-absorption. 
I was designed for more than that. I was designed, literally designed for generosity. Why? Because we were created in his image. See, when people and individuals align themselves, and churches, by the way, this is not just to you, this is preaching to me, but it's preaching to us as a community of believers here on this property. When we begin to align ourselves, or, or a person does themselves with that design, it does become obvious. Because it stands out, and it stands out because it's anointed. There's a fragrance and aroma of people who are people of generosity whether it's a group or an individual or a family. And it's not because they give away significant amount of, amounts of money. They may not in that sense. I mean, they, it may be time, it may be talent, it, may be, it very well may be money. But even at that, Jesus talks about uh, in, in Mark 12 about the widow's might. It is not even a, a dollar figure. Because in the kingdom, in God's economy, amount sacrificed always supersedes amount given highly favored blessed satisfied content happy less complaining people who are people of generosity i can almost guarantee you have less complaining about their lives and matter of fact, are way more optimistic. Second Corinthians 9, 6-7. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, happy, energetic, let's go find it giver. Not my words. The words of the Apostle Paul. I believe generosity energizes you. I just believe it does. You can't wait to write that check. You can't wait to give that $50 to that person. You can't wait to do this or that. You almost can't wait. There is this energy inside of you. Not because, and I'll rest in just a minute, not because it's something you're going to receive. You just can't wait to see what happens. Because you realize the resources you have are given to you for a purpose. You are a conduit. Now, this does not mean you don't have a nice house or more than one nice house. It doesn't mean you don't have a nice car or more than one nice car. What it means is they don't have any hold on you. That's what it means. They have no attachment to you. You could be as content without them or with them. That's what I'm talking about. And you realize that becoming, becoming generous can become dangerous. It's not because of the things you give away. It's because of the adventure you now are on. But the greatest adventure you are now on is you're being transformed in the image of God. So if you're being transformed in the image of God, that means you're more intimate with him and you're getting closer to an almighty God. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Our God is a God who lavishes. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. 
that we should be called the children of God? And that is what we are. Some of you need to be reminded of that today. The reason the world does not know us is that they do not know him. John, don't put anything up there yet. Sometimes there's the opportunity to lavish finds you. You don't go looking for it. Had an opportunity to give Jan a gift for Christmas. And I will say this. It energized my kids. Once they found out we were about to do this particular thing at the end of our Christmas gifts, they were so excited they didn't hardly even want to open their own gifts. Because they were so excited about the gift that mom was going to get. And let me say this before I tell you what it was. Sometimes I get to be husband first, not pastor first. And sometimes I get to do things for my, kid, for my kids and for my wife just because I want to lavish. And for some of you, it may not be lavish. It may be somewhere below, but for me, it was. And a year ago, don't do this yet, a year ago, I sold... The car that I love the most. How many know? remember my little Dodge Neon? Little Dodge Neon. I love that thing. Little five-speed, man, I could scoot around. And I love that, but it just came a point, and it still ran great and sold it. Sold it for, yeah. <laughs> I sold it. But I didn't know a year later, less than a year later, I was going to be able to buy another car for my wife for the, basically the same amount of money. It's pretty awesome. Let's flip those up there. Now, you choose which one you would rather have. (laughs) Now, it may bother some of you. And you may ask, does anybody deserve a Mercedes convertible? And I don't know if really know the answer to that, but I will say this as a husband of someone who has walked these miles with me for these 30 years and has served and has known, if anybody deserved it, Jan did. That's the way I felt about it. If they did. They did. Now, but I want to tell you, it's like this. If the Lord tells us to do something else with it, we will. My point with it all is there are sometimes being generous and lavishing energizes you. I have felt better the last 10 days than I ever felt in my life. I think it's because of that. No, I just kidding. <laughs> but what my point, I have, did not, Jan, I forget, I went hiking for I went hiked about 20 miles in about four days at this new hill. My point is this. I believe it. You begin to look for ways. You begin to search for ways. And it's not always your family. It's obviously. We are designed for generosity. Second thing, you're intentional. You're intentional. And you're intentional by having great spiritual insight and hearing. You are praying for discernment. You're asking. You, I'm going to tell you, you won't be a great person of generosity unless the Holy Spirit is giving you wisdom and discernment. You may just be going out helping people you shouldn't be helping. What I mean by it is I don't mean not helping. My point is sometimes when you're helping people, you're hurting them. Sometimes when you're hurting people, you're helping them. So you've got to have great discernment. You've got to have great insight to how to go about doing this. But you're still on the lookout, right? Your head's up. I love when that song, Good Grace, get your head up. And you're looking, Lord, give me eyes to see what only you can see. Give me eyes to see people the way you see them. 
Let me see circumstances the way you see them. And you're not always going to get some text that says, now, do it now. Sometimes it just seems right to you and the Holy Spirit as it did to the Acts church in verse 17, Acts 17, the, new, the, new, the Jerusalem church, and Jerusalem council, when they made some of the biggest decisions, they said, well, it just seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that's all you got. But you're seeking and you're asking and you're, and you're, and you're hoping. And you intentionally look for ways to give it away. They truly believed that we were not designed to be hoarders. And I love this statement. I don't know who says it. It said, what does matter is that the things they're doing on a daily basis is in alignment with the big things they want to do in life. They align themselves where they can say yes more often. Some of you don't have the margin in your life to say yes. Some of you don't have your margin in your finances. You don't have margin in your time. You don't have margin to go use your talents and graces. Maybe you haven't even discovered what you could give them. We're here to help you do that. And I'm not even talking about financial. I'm talking about from your gifts and graces. God has given us a plan to help you figure that out. But you've got to have space. You've got to have margin. You've got to be disciplined. The end result of discipline is not bondage. The end result of discipline is, is freedom. That's what energizes you because you have that. Some, some people save so they can give it away. They, they actually have an account where they put it away so that's part of their generosity account. It's an intentionality in their lives. So many of us, I think we struggle with the ability to say, I would say what, where we don't struggle is, is trying to figure out good from bad. Most of us can figure that out. Should I do that or not? Oh, that's bad. I ain't doing that. The biggest challenge for most of us is good versus best. Good versus the most excellent way. That's the challenge. Anybody can figure out good and bad. But how is God working in me to see the things that are his most excellent way? And he might say, sure, you can do that, but this is the best way. Seek me. For some of us, and Josiah reminded me of this saying the other day, and I, I love it. What I want gets in the way of what I really want. What I want gets in the way of what I really want. Like, for instance, yesterday I took this picture. No, not that one, the other one. The other one, go back, go. Wrong order. Ah, that's not near as funny now. Go back to the other one. Is there not one of the fritos in the cake? Okay. Ah, I had a great punchline there. It's not there. I had a picture, I had this beautiful picture of fritos, a cake, bluebell ice cream, and a Dr. Pepper. What I want gets in the way. Go ahead, John. What I really want. I got that new tattoo there, if you see there during Christmas break. No. My point is this. Good intentions don't get you there. They just don't. And what you want cannot get in the way of what you really, really want. And you need to figure out what you really, really want. 
Because when you figure out what you really, really want and you get around people who figure out what they really, really want and begin to commit themselves to get to what they really, really want, which is what God wants, what a community. What a great place that's to be a part of. The other one is, is humbleness. The third one is humbleness. They have humbleness and empathy and with no strings attached. Simon Sinek in his book, Leaders Eat Last, he talks about a great leader has to have empathy. See, ultimate empathy or compassion only comes when God begins to say, love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves." I love what Brother Paul used to say about compassion. My friend, Brother Paul, many of you know, I don't have time to explain who that is, but Brother Paul Holdfield, who worked with homeless for years and passed away in 98, but he used to tell me, that the compassion to him was, if your feet are cold, my feet are cold. And I don't like my feet cold, so I'm going to figure out how to take care of that. So compassion or empathy, I feel your pain. I want to help figure out how to resolve that. And it comes with no strings attached. If they ever get brought to the front, if they ever get brought up front, in the, what I mean by up front, they ever get known It will be only to advance the kingdom. And it will not be on their agenda. It will be because God did something to cause that to happen for an advancement of what he's trying to do. Many of you know the story, and I I can't go into detail because we don't have time this morning. Over the last seven years, the Lord has allowed and if you're listening today folks i'm not talking to god right now uh <laughs> talking to the what do you call it the cyberspace no whatever you call it i'm talking to to people who would listen online potentially since 2011 we've had a family send us a check in december for fifty thousand dollars every december we've never met them i've never talked to them i write them a note and a letter every year and i genuinely would love to and jan i've offered Yeah, they have my cell phone number, but I've never met them. Specifically to missions, last year they sent $100,000. I went to the mailbox this week, they sent a check for $250,000. And the reason I tell you that is, there's going to be no greater pleasure on our end. First off, this month, we will send a check away for... Between thirty and forty thousand dollars away from renovation immediately for the advancement of the kingdom of missions, retired pastors, Point Loma, those things. But we are going to still figure out other ways. We give at renovation thirteen percent and above. I'm going to guess twenty to twenty five percent of the money that comes in here goes away from here. That's my at least. I don't know. I, I wish I'd have figured that out. But I believe God. For instance, you've you've paid your staff well. And we'll continue to do that because I believe a generous people reap that. Not ridiculous, not out of hand. I'm saying just doing the right thing. And I'm going to tell you, you have a generous staff. <laughs> but let me say this. And what I appreciate about this situation, I just wanted to say to them publicly, because I don't know if, I'll ever, if they ever listen. I just want to tell them, we take what you're doing serious. And we know with great blessing comes great responsibility. And we do take this serious. 
And we will try to do the best we can to advance the kingdom through those avenues. And I just wanted to hear that from me in case I never get to talk to them, in case they ever listen here. But we just thank them. We just thank them. But most of all, I thank a God who is stirring on them, I believe, stirring on us. How do we work this out together? How do we work this out together? The next one is compelled by the love of Christ, realizing what's at stake. 1 Corinthians 5, 14 through 22. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all and those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. There's an amen right there. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry the ministry of reconciliation. If you wonder what your ministry is, I can't identify all of it. I can tell you what part of it. It will all fall under this umbrella, the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people back to God and reconciling people back to each other. I can guarantee you that. That I know. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That includes anybody you know and you. He was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though Christ, God, were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Every true believer, I believe, should have the heart of generosity. God should be changing. It should compel you. You can't help it. See, before generosity, I believe many of us ask this question. What's it going to cost me to do that? After generosity and God begins to stir that, you begin to ask a question. What's it going to cost me not to do that? What if I don't step into this? You begin to realize what's at stake. That you are the plan. I remember years ago, I was in my early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. Jan and I were both working 50, 60 hours a week, had three kids. But we not only financially, we were already giving tithe-wise, but we began to give our time and our talent. And I think part of the stirring, and Jan would tell you, is because we realized what was at stake. We realized what was at stake. I was a layman for six years, just so you know, if you don't know me well, we were laymen for six years before I went into ministry full-time. We were doing this way before that way before I went into ministry full-time, I'm just saying to you is you've got to begin to build your life around not only discipline and margin, but what's at stake. Concerning our children and youth ministry here at Renovation, I'm so thankful for the two pastors we have in our children and youth ministry. Obviously our other pastors too, but, but specifically into that. We are not the Boys and Girls Club, and they do good work. We are not the Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts. They do good work. We're not PCH, and God uses that in a powerful way. We're not Point Loma Nazarene University, and God uses that in a powerful way. But we are the body of Christ positioned in this neighborhood for a purpose. To make a difference. Not just a place where children and students go and get some good coaching. 
or a good place to drop off your kids while you go do something else. We are in the life-transforming business. I know there are great opportunities out there to give to a lot of other things, and I know there are, but I, do, I believe this with all my heart here at Renovation. The local church is still the hope of the world, or we need to quit meeting. We just are. Positioned in communities for a purpose. My conversation with Jeff, just, a few, just I called him right day after Christmas because I was coming around in here. I kept grabbing him, going, Jeff, hey, I want you to come and meet this person. I want you to come and meet that person. And, and I got home, and Jan goes, don't be like his dad. Tell him, Jeff, do this. Jeff, do that. <laughs> I, and his dad's great. And I, I don't know what. I, I'm, I'm even making bad light on your dad. I know your dad probably never did that with you. Either. He did. No, your dad's awesome. And pray for his dad. But, but, but so I was under conviction, so I called Jeff on the day after Christmas. I said, Jeff, I just got to tell you something, man. I said, I know I was grabbing you out of this group of people to go meet so-and-so and grabbing you out of this group of people to go meet so-and-so. But let me tell you, Jeff, this is, what I got, this is what I want you to understand. Sometimes there's only eternity. We only have seconds to grab someone. I know you may only show up on occasion, and I hope that week that you're here you grab someone. But I'm telling you right now, we don't have months, we don't have weeks, we don't have days, we don't have hours, we don't even have minutes many times. We have seconds to touch someone's life that can make a difference for generations in their family. We cannot be self-absorbed. We've got to be generous. We've got to discipline. That's why, and I know I've caught some flack on this before, but I'm going to tell you this. I am going to blow by you on Sunday mornings. I'll stay to 2 o'clock and talk with you if you want to talk. But I am blowing by you if it's new people here. Or if I see you, if the Lord's leading me, if someone's hurting, and I sense it. God bless you if you get upset. But less complaining if you're generous. Okay? It's just less complaining if you're generous. You gave me two weeks to work on this message. Okay? So I so just want to tell you. Someone's family. Yeah, you need to be getting here early enough to drive the van for us. Somebody does. Whatever that is. We can't be consumers, folks. We've got to be investors. And it's in all kinds of ways. Investors for the kingdom. There's a mantra that you can take it or leave it that has stuck with me now. And it's this. We will not keep this to ourselves it's too good it's just too good it's too freeing there's too much hope we will not keep this to ourselves why because we have been called and compelled by Christ's love and the last one I'm going to read 1st Timothy let me read 1st Timothy first I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy. You need to let that soak in just a second. Appointing me to his service. Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, is anybody amen into that? I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Thank goodness there was a reason. The grace that our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. 
along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I believe the last trait is, is that you are grateful. It comes from a changed, transformed heart. The word grateful there means to abound exceedingly. I love what one phrase said, superabounded beyond counting. <laughs> That's a, think of that definition. Superabounding beyond counting. Hey, that kind of rhymed, didn't it, a little bit? Tomorrow night, some of you will watch a football game. And the picture I get in my mind, uh, have that? Yeah, no. What is that? That is not it. <laughs> that is not it. There should be a picture of Luce, uh, Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney up there, but there's not. And both of them are getting a Gatorade bath. I mean bad bath. That's what I think of when I read that passage of Scripture every time. Is that God didn't just spit on me. <laughs> he didn't just spray a little bit on me. He poured out and soaked me abundantly beyond counting. How can I not be grateful. And let me say this, because I'm from the South, I can say this. Saying thank you is drilled into your head. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no. That is drilled into your head in the South. But gratefulness is way more than just words of thank you. It is an attitude. It is a changed life. It is a changed life. I mean, I want to let people use stuff of mine that I think are grateful. If you have children who are grateful, don't you want to bless them even more? When you see people who are grateful, don't you want to figure out other ways to go, man, I want to do this because I know if I do that, they're going to be even more grateful. Not because I'm trying, I'm trying to get points. I just enjoy watching it because it energizes you. And I know there's times you might ask, well, Kurt, don't you think people use you? And my answer to that is, I hope so. I used God for 27 years and never thanked him. 27 years without giving him credit for anything. And by the way, if I, if I didn't serve people who were not thankful, I couldn't be a pastor or a parent. <laughs> right? So you'd have to opt out of all those. No, I hope God uses me. I hope he does. I really hope he does. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as you've received Christ, Jesus as our Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing, overflowing with thankfulness. Oh, you did the message, sorry. I'm going to ask the band to come on up as we go moving the time of communion this morning. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this. This is the message. You do that? Proverbs eleven twenty four. Do you have that, John? No. Okay. It said the world of the generous 
gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Let me read that again. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. We want folks at renovation whose world is getting larger and larger. Thank you, Vince, for what you prayed about the tent pegs being moved, the flaps being opened. I think God's wanting to extend our tent pegs. And we begin to claim ground that hadn't been claimed in a long time for the kingdom. From the mindset of fundraising and increased giving to unleashing fruit bearers. Our hope is that overflowing lives are released into this community. Disciples who are Christ image bearers and fruit bearers. Uncommon. And we will not keep this to ourselves. We just will not. Won't you stand with me? If you're here for the first time, happy new year. One of the things we do here at Renovation uh, is, as a family and intergenerationally, just take communion together. But one of the ways we do that, let me give you logistically real quick. We do that first. What we ask is that you come down. We come forward. come down this aisle. This group here will come down this aisle. This side here will come down this aisle. Take the bread. Dip it in the juice. Partake of it here. You can take it back to your seat, either one. But you just come down and uh, here and then turn back to your seat down the middle. But, and if you are, and if you're not able to do that, just so you know, we do have some prepared ones. If not, if you can't come and physically can't come, if you would raise your hand, uh, we've got some ushers that will be glad to bring those to you because we want everyone to participate that wants to. But the night the Lord was betrayed. He, said, he was with his disciples. And he gave the example of the bread and the juice representing his body and the blood. The word says when you do this, do this in remembrance of him. I hope you come today, but you don't have to and you don't need to feel forced to at all. But we come with a grateful heart. I've said this over the years, if someone described Kurt Gentry, I, I hope they'd describe him as hardworking, you know, man of integrity. You know, you can count on him. He's a voice for all those things. But now I've come to the conclusion, I think there's one word that wraps that up. It's just grateful. Because I think if you're grateful, all those other things happen. They just happen. Because that's who you are. You've been changed. So let me pray for us. I hope you come today in remembrance but with a grateful heart. Lord, we thank you today for the life you've given us. We thank you for Zoe, exceedingly fullness of life that we cannot explain and, Lord, I hope cannot contain. But, Lord, as we come now in this setting together as a family, we'll do this, this common scarlet thread that runs through each one of our lives because of you. Lord, bless this time as we take it serious for your glory. Amen. You come as you feel led this morning.